Uh, my name is Tracy Longley Cook. I'm an assistant professor of photography here at Wright State University, and I am the curator of this exhibition. So, um, so thank you again and welcome. Uh, before we begin the artist talks today, I'd like to uh, extend a few thanks. Um, uh, I certainly did not do this alone. It was a definitely a collaborative effort, and Tess Cortez <laughs> here, who is our mic director and recorder of this event today. Um, truly, I could not have done this without you. So. Uh, Bonnie Roche also, there she is, <laughs> our graduate assistant, um, handled so much of the paperwork, <laughs> and, uh, 225 juried entries through the exhibition and everything, so thank you so much. And also our gallery assistants. Um, I'd also like to announce a special event we actually have in conjunction with the exhibit. There are cards at the front, uh, the front desk here. But uh, as a closing, um, closing event with part of the exhibit, there will be a musical performance um, by Christopher Dietz, Le Chemin des Salut, The Way of Salvation, a soprano and chamber ensemble, Letters from a New France. It uh, is a classical, a contemporary classical piece and accounts 17th century French colonists and voyagers um, coming to the New World. So we'll be uh, at the Schuster Music Hall on January 11th, 2011 at 8 p.m. We'll have a reception in the gallery after the musical event um, to, uh, for, the, for the musicians uh, and for Mr. D. So we'll be here in another celebration and sort of closing event of the exhibition. So I hope you'll make time to come for that as well. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming um, five artists from the exhibition who are here to speak about their work today. Uh, Anne Stagg, Mark Leone, John Holgram, Huckleberry Starnes, and Jill Dave. So thank you so much for those artists being here today. Welcome and thank you. So Anne. I'm behind you. Oh, there she is. Her entrance. I was upstairs. Lead the way. <laughs> Thanks for coming out today. My work is, uh, I have a piece in a uh, uh, framed drawing in the hallway, and I have its installation here. And I want to talk a little bit about how this work developed. Um, I had been working on a, a series of work, a body of work, for quite a while, and found myself in a point of transition. And it's often a really uncomfortable place, I think, to be, that point of transition where you don't have the answers to the questions and you're really trying to work your way through. And I started looking around my studio and I noticed that I had taken everything off of my studio walls, like everything down. And so I was surrounded entirely by white canvases and blank pieces of paper. And I felt a little um, intimidated, I think, by those white surfaces a little bit. So I, in a, in a way to sort of escape this intimidation or a way to sort of begin a process, I took out a stack of paper and a tech pen and a ruler and I drew one line on the first sheet of paper and two lines on the next sheet of paper and three on the next and just sort of methodically worked my way through this large stack of paper. And then I just drew one out of the stack and began to respond to the structure that was there. And in a way, that became, became a real escape for me. It allowed me to enter uh, making a different body of work and working in a way that I had never worked, I hadn't worked previously. Uh, it felt very different, it felt refreshing. And I started, as I was working, um, thinking about all the different types of escape that we uh, package into our lives every day, 
just to kind of get away from the stressors and, you know, the daily grind and the daily routine. So whether it's a, um, you know, a, a trip to a river or the beach or a, a hobby that you really enjoy or something like this, we all kind of try to create these, these protected worlds or these protected places where we can go for relief. Um, and so I started trying to pull up um, kind of some imagery that I felt were my, my areas of escape or my methods of escape. And um, also harking back to things that I really kind of want to do, but I fail at tremendously. I'm really interested in, in our failures, um, more so possibly than our successes as human beings, because I think that that's the thing that keeps us really real and really grounded. Um, and I think that those are, that's where the beauty lies. You know, when I see things that are really perfect and beautiful, I can appreciate them on a certain level, but when I see things that are really trying but falling short, I, I actually have a lot more fondness and a lot more appreciation, a lot more attachment to those things. So I think that my work is in a large way about um, trying to escape and failing and kind of the shortfalls. And so I'm presenting this, um, this landscape, I guess, in this installation form that's made up of um, notions from the fabric store. I always thought that was an interesting term, like you go to the fabric store and there's a section called notions, and it never made sense to me. I don't sew. And uh, it never made any sense to me that they were called notions. I, I always thought notions meant something else. And so I wanted to kind of use that along with this, that these were my notions of escape. Um, and so I began to look at them and try to identify them as different things. So whether they're dotted lines on a map or, you know, stormy weather, you know, the rickrack becoming this river, this flowing, undulating river. Um, I began to just kind of explore the materials themselves and, and play, you know, a lot about playing and not having to make something that's um, really important. Like, I didn't feel like this is important. When this comes down, it all collapses into a pile of fabric on the floor and it, it becomes a potential for something else. Um, so it's just about an expression of a moment in time and, uh, you know, and a, and a place to sort of get away and uh, explore what's happening or what you're thinking about at the time. Um, so that's kind of what my work is about. I'm curious what your previous work was like. You said it's a it, it was a little bit of a departure. You started with drawing. I'm trained as a painter. Um, and I was doing a, a lot of work dealing with um, identity. And I'm from the South. And I grew up in a, a fairly conservative uh, home with three boys and three girls. And growing up, um, the girls were given girls' chores, and the boys were given boys' chores, and I never really fit well with the girls' chores. So we were darning socks, you know, putting the light bulb in the sock and re-knitting the, you know, when, instead of just throwing away socks, which we do now. Like, we were actually remending them and doing dishes and sewing and things like this. And I wanted to be outside mowing the grass and playing football and, you know, exploring. And so I actively as a child turned against those things. My grandmother taught all of my sisters and my cousins how to crochet and make these beautiful things. And at some point much later in life, I sort of realized, oh, it'd be great if I knew how to crochet. You know, like, wouldn't that be awesome? I saw these beautiful things. And it's sort of um, lamenting like the, the, how you make choices and in your choice, you know, you find strength there. You make the decisions that are right for you, but there's always something you're leaving behind. There's always a loss. And so that I made work that was kind of about that loss. And they were paintings um, where I would try to create my grandmother's crochet patterns, but in a sort of a camouflage setting um, with lines penetrating out. And 
And so my, my only way to recreate this camouflage was to trace the little holes through my grandmother's thing and then paint them individually one by one, which is the most absurd, I think, endeavor again. And once again, it's about that kind of failure to be or that failure to um, achieve what you're going for. And I did these large cloth, um, these large pieces of fabric where I actually was trying to make something tactile and crochet-like. And so I did the same thing where I would trace with a pencil these holes and then meticulously with little teeny tiny scissors cut them out and then present them as these artifacts of, of my failed attempt at learning this thing. So um, that's where I had been and I, I was hoping to kind of steer away from that. But failure still remains important. <laughs> Very important. I want my work to fail and be a little pathetic. I had a review once and the critic wrote, you know, that um, about my work as being pathetic and a friend of mine read that I'm like, sorry. <laughs> I felt so bad for me and I was like, this is the best review ever. <laughs> like, this person gets my work. And it was a very kind, I mean, I thought it was a very kind review and he was playing with the idea of pathetic as, you know, like a genre of art. Like I was the, you know, I had started patheticism. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. <laughs> so, um, so really it's about that struggle to achieve and kind of how we fall short. Introduce Mark Leone, who will be speaking about his sculpt with wall sculptures over here. Well, uh, uh, first off, uh, let me say thank you uh, to Tracy for curating me in the show, and it's a pleasure to be here at, at Wright State University. I actually uh, teach at Northern Kentucky University, not too, too far away here south, right across the river, so it's a pleasure to be in this area. And to be in this beautiful space, this is a gorgeous, gorgeous gallery, and I'm kind of jealous. I wish we had it. We have a nice space, but I think this one's maybe just actually a little bit, a little bit better. So when you look at my work, the, invariably the, the first question that, that always comes up is, what is that? What is that stuff, and, and how did you do it? And so I like to talk about uh, process with all the pieces because my work, and I really think of them, this may seem bizarre to you, but I think of them more as drawings than I do as sculptures. And I was trained as, as uh, a drawing and painting person. I trained in New York as an illustrator and worked there for a good while and then uh, came to Arizona State and did my MFA there. And so I was really heavily trained in certainly uh, two-dimensional work, but uh, having worked in New York, I left the art world for a year or two just to kind of uh, get away a little bit. Started traveling widely and starting, started collecting little pieces of flotsam and jetsam from Egypt, from Central America and South America, and asking questions, you know, what the hell am I doing with little stuff, and then trying to get it through customs. And, and I, when I, yeah, that was a challenge too. And then when I came to, to do my grad work and I started kind of grappling with the, the why, and I figured out through time and through the process of the works I'm trying to, to unify sort of fragmentary parts and especially geologic kind of things which I'm really attracted to, layers of earth uh, and dirt. So when you look at the work, you're looking at um, 50 to 60 layers of latex paint, ordinary uh, paint that you'd paint these walls with or your house with. Indoor, outdoor paint, uh, graphite, uh, which is a, certainly a, a drawing material, powder graphite, carbon, burn wood, charcoal, and uh, earth and dirt. So a lot of these, these textures that you're looking at, including within the paint, 
is some of the little travel bits, sand, volcanic ash uh, from El Salvador. So I get, try to get some of that uh, into the layers of work. And so I work on the pieces, sometimes on the ground, sometimes on the wall. I draw on them some. Uh, sometimes I use paint brushes on them too as well. And then sometimes you know, they're very physical, so I also use power tools. So they're really uh, looking at them from, from my point of view are hybrids, a little drawing, a little painting, a little sculpture. People ask me, well, what, now wait a minute, where, now are you sculpture, sculpture, are you drawing, are you painting? I say yes, all of that, all, all that, all that together. Um, you know, part of, I think, um, for me, the, the excitement of the process, and I'm really excited about it in all phases, is the building of the supports, which are, are birch, white, birch plywood back, and then I start to layer burlap, canvas, multiple layers of canvas. I'm, I'm thinking about building up earth surface structures and I began to, maybe at some of the first layers, begin to carve back into them and think about erosion type processes, really physical processes of uh, deposits, erosion, carving out, carving away, then I'll start to build up again the surface again. So you might see something through here where you see the initial support where I've, I've popped all the way through and there's certainly lots of thin layers of latex paint up through that. And then in each layer, I begin to buff with powder graphite and also uh, powdered charcoal at different layers. And some of the areas you can tell are very, very highly sheened. So I may use buffing tools to spend hours upon hours to get a sheen that's very glassy, very glossy, which again, formally I'm interested in a surface that's perhaps matte or perhaps uh, a glossy look and in some place uh, in, in between. So if you ask me, well, are you interested in geology? Well, you betcha. Yeah, I spent a lot of time going out hiking, traveling, looking, looking at lava, volcanoes. You know, being in Arizona was probably ironic and that probably certainly influenced, you know, my work at times too, looking at um, just the rawness of that landscape uh, in the Phoenix area, the Flagstaff area, um, Meteor Crater area, and certainly the Grand Canyon. So that's really exciting, and the challenge for me now being in the Ohio, northern Kentucky area, is to continue making work, but but try to find you know new ways to to challenge yourself, to excite yourself, and to find you know different strategies to continue to. To, to really grow. And I think this one over here, which is actually an earlier piece from the other three, um, has a little bit more of a map-like quality. So it's got some of that, that map nature in, into it. And you know, there was a time in my life where I was, was even moving around more than I am now. I feel like I've lived, you know, we're, we've talked about that a little bit, all kind of all over the country. And there's that kind of, that um, I think love for you know, difference in place, and I think I try to get at that just a little bit in terms of the, the textures of the piece. So that's really what you're looking at in terms of, of process is they're really physical, they're real heavy pieces. And I think, you know, one of the questions I get all the time is, you know, how long does one piece make? Well, they take six, six months, eight months, sometimes even a year. So I try to wor uh, work on, you know, three or four at a time just to, just to keep that balance. But, I really, I really try to, to, to talk about them more and in, in still in the 2D realm, but they, they always, there's always that, that strange, I think, strange balance between the 3D and the 2D. So I think that's, that's exciting for me, at least as an artist, to, 
to have that particular particular balance. So, any questions? Yeah. What's your yeah. favorite story about going through customs with someone? <laughs> well, uh, Israel was challenging. Uh, Egypt was challenging to to get to get uh, uh, material through. There was um, in Egypt. I had this big blue bag and I had some dirt, and they were absolutely you know dead set on not letting me through. And finally, I just put my foot down. I said, you know, I'm taking this bag and I, I'm walking that one. If you want to stop me, you can stop me. And I turned around and he just let me let me walk on through. Then I was in uh, in El Salvador. I had a little uh, flask about about so big, about yay big, of volcanic ash. And she was like, "Ooh, what's this?" Oh, I said, "Well, it's it's volcanic ash from volcano." She's like, "Oh, great! Well, can I see it?" Okay, here you go. I thought to myself, "Well, that was probably the easiest <laughs> easiest time I had through." So, yeah, I've got a I've got a few few challenging challenging scuffles for sure. So Mark, it sounds like the, um, the, the sense of traveling and gathering materials and bringing it back to your studio is very much a part of your working process. And I love how that sort of that mapping, the geography of, of the world itself is being brought into, into your work during the, the process. Yeah, and then part of that with, with these pieces, uh, the, the two circular pieces are more uh, based more on the, the crater form. My love of craters. I've done a series of works on paper. Uh, about the crater, and it's again. There's a part of it. it it's sim, you know, symbolically a a way for me to investigate the material world, the material universe through these images. But I'm thinking, you know, trying to think metaphorically about, you know, broader issues about the universe, um, the materials. I think that just the the, the elemental materials that bring the universe to, the, together, the chemistry that sticks us and binds us together. Uh, is really exciting since I don't well, since I don't work with the figures. There's, there's no narrative here. So to me, that just the rawness of using um, elemental <coughs> carbon, um, a mineral graphite which comes from the earth, and using earth materials as a symbol, literally at times within within that, it's it's, it's exciting for me. So for sure. Thank you. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> So my name is John Holmgren, and um, the work here is um, from a series of 18 pieces called um, Not to be Used for Navigation. Um, and kind of a little history on the, on, on the work is um, um, I spent about six years in the U.S. Coast Guard, and one of those places I was stationed was on a, um, a polar-class icebreaker, the Polar Sea, which went to the Arctic and Antarctic. Um, so the images here were taken about in 9091. Um, so... In grad school, um, I started revisiting these images and thinking about um, experience, place, memory. Um, and I was interested in how to use these photographs and to um, uh, show this kind of experience and, uh, in this place, which was um, very unique because of the type of work we were doing down there. With, it was basically scientific, mapping areas, um, stuff like that. So. The, the images um, were scanned and then printed to 40 by 40, and then they're, they're basically um, glued with archival um, glued to plexi. And then I took a CNC router, which is a computer-generated router, and entered um, information into those, that router, and it routed the information into the plexi. So it's actually etched into the plexi. And then after that, um, I sanded the actual 
face of the plexi, because when you do plexi, it's generally pretty shiny and looks like glass. Um, and I then sanded the surface, and that works um, two ways as far as I'm concerned with the work. One is it kind of sets the images back a little bit, kind of this fog of memory and that experience and how, how images start to, to you know, bring up memory and um, how we remember things from images and maybe how kind of um, false that might be in some ways. And um, the other part is the, um, the sanded plexi tends to kind of represent the ice and of course the place in the, that I was actually working in at that point. And I think in some ways, um, uh, like um, Anne was talking about, the, um, the work you know, fails to really give the experience of that place that I was in. Um, a lot of the images, um, not necessarily these two here, but have um, a lot of the scientific work we were doing on there, which was mapping ice flows, um, looking at um, global warming, stuff of that nature. Um, these two here, this one um, here has a map of, uh, of Antarctica, basically, parts of it. Um, and I found this map, and this one actually has the title of the series of the pieces on it, not to be used for navigation, at the University of Minnesota Library. And it had this great, beautiful map from the 1960s of Antarctica. And I was looking at it in the bottom in big, bold red letters that said, not to be used for navigation, like you would take this map and use it to navigate down in Antarctica. Um, so that's where kind of the series um, um, started. And the, and the words not to be used for navigation work in a couple ways for me in the sense that, yes, it has to do with mapping and exploring, but also it also refers to the experience as far as like, don't maybe use these images or um, my ideas what my experience was in trying to inform you of my experiences there with these images and how they may fail um, doing that. This, there's a couple in the series. Um, this one here to the left is actually an image taken out on the ice. This one here is an actually an aerial photograph that was kind of a found, um, uh, found object um, at the University of Minnesota and incorporated into the work. And then there's actually mappings of McMurdo, which is the same map of this area that's shown here um, that's been transferred onto their um, as far as kind of putting that layering of information onto the photograph. So, so is there any questions or? Is this a, is this a series that you're continuing? Um, Actually, no, no. <laughs> it's done. Um, sometimes you have facilities that allow you to do certain work right. and um, uh, a computer generated router is sometimes a little bit difficult to get a hold of. So um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, run its course as far as that. But I mean, mapping in my work has always kind of um, been an interest. I always incorporate maps and text into my work, um, kind of laying the foundation of place and, and where the work's kind of being generated, so. And you're continuing work around the Arctic Circle as well? Yeah, well, I just got back this summer from being up in the Arctic Circle up in the Northwest Territories, um, but the work is, you know, very different from yes, this. But, um, uh, so yeah, still working in those Arctic and Antarctic regions, um, and, uh, you know, mapping always kind of finds its way into that, because that's how, of course, you find your way through those spaces, so, yeah. Does it ever occur to you, or is, it, is there any part of it that's about the fact that humans can't really live there? 
Um, the sort no. of the loss of being able to actually set up a place, even though you're mapping it, to know what it's about. Yeah, not not really. I guess with my work, I mean, because most of this was was generated on a um, a ship, so you're never really living in the same place. Right, you know, yeah. yeah. So. Um, as far as like living in the space is just generally the idea of mapping to know how to get through something yeah or navigate where you live yeah as opposed to this being just mapping it to figure out like where oil is or how to bomb somebody <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> that kind of thing yeah because it is so desolate but not really livable yeah I think, um, you know, in the areas we were working, we were supposedly the first humans in those areas, you know, by historical record. So, um, and what we were mostly concerned about was um, more, not so much, I don't think we were concerned about um, military aspects. Well, don't take it too little. But, um, uh, you know, we were really concerned about how, what the effects we were, we were um, at that point, were making on the planet. You know, right, right. so um, more, more. I think the work hopefully has more an environmental slant to it than okay. than that. So it's not as much. Yeah, because um, you know you're seeing two of them here, and the others right. have information about ice flows and um, uh, the deterioration of the um, the Ross ice the Ross ice shelf area and stuff of that nature. Did you guys track animals too? Um, not so much. We saw a lot of penguins. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. Okay. We're going to move over here uh, to Huckleberry Starn's work. It's Ohio, so a little tribute to us. <laughs> Hello, I'm Huckleberry Starnes. Uh, I'm actually born here in Dayton. I lived here for only two years before moving to Oxford, uh, and then about age 11, I moved to New England, where I spent pretty much the rest of my life. And uh, this piece, as well as downstairs, there are two panels right next to the door in black frames, um, are my pieces at the show. And ironically, two of the smallest things I've ever made. <laughs> uh, most of my pieces are very large. Uh, the series that these are from are the Beacon series, and I've been working on them for about... 20 plus years now and basically this work specifically is about looking backward as a timeline and capturing specific moments in my life in Ohio as someone who no longer lives here. So um, even though I, I just realized the other day that I've now spent more of my life not in Ohio than I did here, I still very much identify myself as an Ohioan, uh, specifically Dayton. Uh, in Oxford, which is where I spent the rest of my time here. So for me, these pieces are very personal. Um, and in a lot of ways, it's supposed to be that way for me, so that I hope there's more of a mood that is set by the work than that you get specifically what I'm thinking about in this work. Um, because they do line up in a series, if you, this is uh, 19, if you line them up, they're, they pretty much tell a story. Um, for me anyway. <laughs> uh, this, this piece, the, I guess the footnote on this piece in particular is that where we lived in, uh, outside of Oxford in College Corner, which is right on the Indiana border, uh, overlooked fields. And 
my bedroom window looked directly out over the field and all you could see was corn and uh, grain elevators and at that time broadcasting towers, now cell towers. And the majority of my work is actually about those uh, megalithic structures uh, on this big open space. So this is actually, I was really glad when this piece was selected because it's, it's a very um, intimate piece in a very, I don't know, less intimate collection of work. Uh, another really fun thing about this piece for me is something that, that Tracy and I talked about is it's actually in uh, a collection no longer belongs to me, and when it was requested, it was broken. I found out having, it had been broken for about five years. Um, one of the other things that's really important about my work is that I find, especially in this area of Ohio, you find a lot of vacant barns and old houses and just really beautiful structures that uh, in my earlier career uh, in school, I would get a lot of found objects and I would put things together and it was almost overpowered by the fact that the objects that were found were more beautiful than what I was making. And it took me a long time to figure that out. Uh, so all of my work now is all process work. It's all brand new material and I have a severe fetish for building grade materials. So this is all pine bought at Home Depot that was painted and painted and painted and really labored over. So anyway, when this piece was broken, I happened to have, this one was, was finished in the mid-90s, I happened to still have some of the wood in my shop. So um, there are three panels that were missing from this piece that I put back together. Uh, and for me, that was really exciting uh, to revisit. Also, I realized that in my, uh, my older age, I was much more concerned about the heat and electrical issues than I used to be. <laughs> this one had a, a very old cord on it that when I saw it now as a homeowner horrified me <laughs> for the fire risk. So the pieces downstairs are sections of the Ohio River that are actually broken up uh, by towns and was a piece that developed in my studio where I had actually cut out, cut out about a 10-foot section of the Ohio River in plywood. And it was just one of those things where as a woodworker being my primary medium, it was fun to do, but I didn't really know why I was doing it. It just seemed like the right thing to do. And I had cut it up to make it fit uh, on some shelves, and it really just kind of came together. So the piece downstairs is much more of a process piece. If you look into the background of the piece, you'll actually see the shape of Ohio very faintly in the background of the piece. And where the section of the river crosses the Ohio is an indicator of where you're looking at. So it was another way for me to kind of create a map uh, actually of Ohio, but also of about uh, the time I spent on the river, um, which in no small part has to do with being named Huckleberry, which is my real name, <laughs> and feel like I was pressured to spend time on a raft or around the water. <laughs> so anyway. Out of curiosity, the title of the Beacon series, mm -hmm. what does that reference? Uh, the beacon, the beacon is a way that I would refer to these pulsing red lights that were really aircraft warning, but to me seemed like beacons at the top of these towers. So in these dark Ohio nights, when you look out over, and now especially if you're driving uh, through this part of, of Ohio, you'll see these pulsing red and sometimes white lights at the top of the towers. And they were always very intriguing for me as a child. Um, and so 
as these pieces being referencing points in my, my past, to me they were beacons along this timeline in that way. Does that make sense? The person who had it in their collection, were they embarrassed when you <laughs> they were, to them and they explain how they broke it? They were incredibly embarrassed. <laughs> and uh, apparently when they moved, the movers broke it and then lost the pieces so that when they unpacked it, it was very carefully packed in, inside of a box, broken. <laughs> um, but as I said, for me, it was at first very frustrating. And then once I realized I had some of the wood left, it was... Very exciting, and it's it's um, this panel right here in the top, by the way. <laughs> so. Is it yours now? No, I'm giving it back, and I also rewired it and put in a heat dissipation point because it just it scared me. <laughs> so. We are fortunate enough to have um, another piece of Huckleberry's work in our collection, actually, um, a, a larger piece um, oh, yeah. that's part of our sculpture collection. So another nice beacon. Another beacon. Yes. Uh, it's certainly nice to have your work in the gallery. Great. Thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks. We're going to conclude our talks today with Jill Daves, who's right over here. We're going to talk about her, her three beautiful drawings. Okay, so these are my three pieces. Um, the way that I start my work is I think of maps as analogous to the way that we sort of live our lives. Since the beginning of society, people have made maps to figure out where they're going, where they want to go, where they live, how to get back to where they were, that kind of stuff. So I think of it as the way that we try to find meaning in our lives by creating maps to live by or to judge other people by or to find ways to get along with one another or find moments in time where you turn and follow someone else path, else's path because they got to where they wanted to go. So what I do is I cut maps up depending on either like their color or their, their counties or states or parts of things. And then I put them back together and realign the roots. And then I, I sort of obsessively copy them and copy them in a sense that it's sort of like when you drop something in water and it keeps dissipating out. If it hits something else, it turns and it creates another pattern that goes the other way. So it's a sense that these accidents that happen in life are what actually create you to be an individual or someone as opposed to following the path. So that's sort of where I, I, I don't come as this as sort of narrative thing, but the way that you look at your life and live it never, it becomes circular, it never gets finished, and so that's the beauty of it. So the parts that you walk by to get to where you're going are really the part that meant the most. So that's sort of where I come from. Um, I don't know. I'm not very good at talking in front of people, so it's better if you ask me questions. How did you, how did you set up or come to the final silhouette shape of it? I just do it intrinsically. I sort of make sure that at least two things fit together. And I don't make it just be roads. Sometimes it's rivers or, you know, railway stations or whatever. I like the combination of different, different you know, very, very different uh, geographical locations of cities. Yeah. They come together. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a, I have another piece that actually, that's been bought and, and somebody owns it, but it was Europe before the Russia broke up and I cut it up and it had all these lines where people had traveled. So I was going over the lines that, because I always use used maps and old maps. So I always like copy the lines where people traveled and rearrange them. So it's nice to do that. And sort of think about the world not as individual places, but that we're all sort of doing the same thing. How do you decide on like the series of mark makings? They're very labored and they're very layered um, pieces. Or, you know, so how do you go back into it these decisions about your marks on top, besides just delineating, right. going over the lines that are already present? Well, I wanted to have a certain amount of continuity and sort of um, repetition, because usually everything that we do is really repetitive. Mm -hmm. And sort of every day can be really banal if you only think about the repetition, but you stub your toe and that's the moment where you're like, oh. So when those things cross over each other, I find that to be the beauty. So I make that, like I want you to come in and look and be like, almost get lost in the fact that it's so overwhelmingly overlapping that it becomes this beautiful on its own. I really appreciate the markings being um, from a distance that you experience them as almost like a pre-made mark, like something done by the manufacturer of the map, and then coming in and seeing that layered with much more of a hand-done thing in that sort of way, experiencing it from a distance versus up close changes the perspective Where, where, is this, are these smaller works? Are these works larger in terms of scale? Are these about? Um, this is about the size. Of, they're, most of them are larger, probably. Well, uh, the artists are certainly here for the rest of the reception if you'd like to ask some more questions. Um, I hope you'll enjoy some uh, snacks and uh, see the show in its entirety. It is the upper floor downstairs, the entrance, and it continues down the hallway. Uh, downstairs, but the hallway be extending this direction. So I hope you'll be able to see the entire exhibit and uh, experience all the work. So thank you again to our five artists who are able to be here. Um, it's very special for, for me to uh, meet some of you for the first time and have some old friends here as well. So thank you again. And if I could just give you a hand.